0: How are you? Good. Are you enjoying the snow? Man. If you're not traveling, you, I don't know if you saw in the news that that it seemed to really catch people unaware, like that, that it was going to snow. And I, I even saw that Al Roker apologized on the air because he's like, we got it wrong. And so people were stranded. I mean, you, you know, you think with the technology we have, but they're like, we really had it wrong. We, we, we misjudged this. And so I, I don't know if you even saw this, that there was one, at least one school where the kids had to stay overnight. So they showed pictures of the, of the uh, staff there that had made breakfast for their students. Um, so you don't want to get caught unaware. Um, sing with me. Oh come let us adore him Oh come let us adore him Oh come let us adore him Christ the Lord Father great is your faithfulness great is your word Great is the power of our Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask that that you convert us. That you transform us from hearers to doers. Lord, transform this world using your servants. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So, just in case, I I know that uh, some people aren't really big on what we call in the pastoral world, the sermon series. So I sort of snuck this one in. We were just done with Moses, but I I love the book of James. And do you you know there was somebody who actually didn't really like the book of James, who is sort of famous in, in history? Who was that person? Martin Luther. He did not like, he really wrestled with this book, especially... Comparing it to, to Romans, he felt very freed. And then he felt that James, at times, was very uh, would, would counteract what Romans was saying. And I do not believe that, but, but he felt that way. So this one we're doing is about being a doer of the Word. I want you to show the... the it's the third slide, the, the picture. No, not that, that one, the one before that. Okay. So this guy this guy is giving thumbs up. What is his job? A plumber. Ironically, what's the color of his shirt? Blue. Because a plumber is what kind of job that has been traditionally called? A blue-collar worker. Actually, there is... I want to read sort of what a blue-collar worker is just in case everybody doesn't know what a blue-collar worker is. Uh, They are generally the ones that are considered the manual laborers. Um, They are in manufacturing, mining, sanitation, custodial work, textile manufacturing, fishing, food processing, oil field, uh, waste disposal, recycling, mechanic, electrician, which is sort of trade, um, plumbing. Actually, do you know this, that even historically nurses were considered blue collar? I didn't know that. Uh, but I did some reading up on it that even nurses were considered blue-collar for a long time, probably because of their position with doctors and everything. The word blue-collar was first used in a newspaper in Iowa in 1924. And it was because a lot of these people in manufacturing business wore denim or what is the style? The, uh, is it Cambray or chambray? I think it's Cambray, right? Okay. I don't even know what kind of shirt that is. Um, and they had uniforms. And they were traditionally blue because they didn't want white because then they'd get dirty so quick. They didn't want black um, just because sometimes it would get really hot. So they picked blue. And they were durable as denim. Now, ironically, though, I was reading some articles that said after the baby boomer age has retired or passed on, that we are going to have a huge gap, a huge need for blue-collar workers. There are actually major magazines and journals that are saying, they're actually promoting that people do not go to college if you don't feel called. My generation said, you need to go to college. No matter what, you need a degree, you need a degree, you need a degree. But now that people are coming out of colleges with six-figure debt, yet are being paid at low-level desk jobs at $35,000, which will take them a lifetime to pay back their debt, they're saying maybe college is not for everyone. So there are plumbers and... This one article, granted, I don't know if you have an emotional feeling towards this this newspaper, but the Huffington Post says this. It says, the carpentry trade is projected to grow 24% through 2022, with average wages approaching $90,000 annually. We have a friend who helped work on our sink in Texas that was... He was a master plumber, and he was making more than he was making six figures. He was making well over hundred thousand dollars. I remember when I used to work construction. I worked concrete and excavation, and there was we would when we had these special jobs, we would have a finisher come out, and this finisher would come and we would prepare everything. He didn't have to do, he really didn't have to do anything. But he he would come out. And we would frame, like if it was a driveway, a big driveway, or whatever, we'd frame. We'd get everything ready. He would work for about 45 minutes, and my boss would give him $250 like that. This was 20 years ago. Boom, 20, 250 bucks for 45 minutes. That's like that's like what Dave made. No, I'm just joking. But, you know, it's, it really is, you think blue-collar makes little money, white-collar makes big money. Now, granted, the ones that you think of are these corp execs or, or a lawyer or a doctor. Yeah, maybe their average income is more. But ironically, more and more because of the need, these blue-collar workers are going to be making more money. Now, I'm not telling you where your kids should or shouldn't go to school. But I'm saying that there is going to be a need. And actually what they're saying, because of outsourcing and the lack of need, these low-level desk jobs are going away because of automation. And so there are more and more, a growing number of people with degrees that can't find jobs. We have a a friend from Texas who his brother-in-law I believe is working on his third PhD yet has never worked since he's been married to his sister. Has never worked. Never made any money from his degrees. Now you can show the other slide. Knowledge does not equal success. Do you agree? Hopefully you do understand that statement. Knowledge does not equal success. Knowledge plus action can equal success. But knowledge itself, I know a lot of smart kids out there that have no common sense at all. We are in an information age where people are smarter than ever yet have no clue how to do things. And to be honest, people like Sam or David or know, that know how to do something outside of their own business, those people are going, bye-bye. And so we're going to have this huge gap of people, of people that don't know it, so I'm going to have to pay 200 bucks an hour for somebody to help me. It's a challenge. James chapter 1, it says this, back to the verse of the day, it says this, do not merely listen to the word, now this is NIV, do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. Now the Greek word is poeo, that is the Greek verb. It doesn't just mean do, it means to act, it means to make at times, it means to create, it means to, to guard, to keep, actively engage in this. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately, immediately forgets what he looks like. So it's like looking in the mirror and seeing that spinach in between your teeth. Like, well, all right, see ya. And then you have your job interview. But the man looks, who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. There was a problem in first century Christianity, and this problem I do assume still happens, that people would be fans, but not followers. Now, the juniors know what I'm talking about a little bit because we talked about it in class. There is actually a book called Not a Fan. Have any of you read the book Not a Fan? Have you ever heard of the book Not a Fan? Heard of the book Not a Fan? Basically, the idea is that most Christians are fans. cheer rah rah! We buy jerseys. We, We come to our bleachers. These are our bleachers. And we support Jesus when things are good. But a few losses come along and just like maybe the last couple years with the bears, you're like, oh, the bears stink. You know, I, I, I remember hearing that last year. Oh, I, I've given up on this season. The bears stink. Well, go, it's changed a little bit this year. Oh, I really like the bears. I think I'm going to go get a jersey. And what Jesus is saying is I don't want fans. Do you remember in John chapter 6 he actually says something that's so hard for them that it says most of his disciples left. Did Jesus know he was going to say something that would make them leave? Yes. And he still said it. This is hard. Because some of us think that, we just, that Jesus just wants to fill these pews. He just wants us to have these full pews. When Jesus says, no, I would rather have two of you that are devoted followers than a bunch of people that are not, that are my fans, that will desert me when they are not happy with me. And that problem was happening then. Now I'm assuming it doesn't happen now. The context of this verse, though, is about pure religion. I don't know why that religion didn't stay up there. Pure religion. Because we're going to read this verse. The next verse says this, If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep from being polluted from the world. He says, I know the world is saying, you want to rub shoulders with people that will benefit you. That's just how we are. But he says, I want you to go to the people that have nothing, and you treat them the way you would want to be treated. That is pure religion. If you want to know what it means to be a doer of the word, this is what it means. Go to widows and orphans. And he's not just saying widows and orphans. He's saying anybody who needs. And that is a doer of the word. See, the problem was, if you go to the next slide, the opposite of pure religion is partiality we are partial we now i don't think it's bad that you are partial to to people that have same likes but the problem in that day was that they were very caste system oriented to the point that you wanted to be with people that you felt were better in society and you would treat them that way you would treat well Can I say that, I'm not saying here, but I've been at churches where boards have been made up of physicians and and lawyers and things, because we respect them more than other jobs. Has that ever happened in your experience? We just, sometimes we feel we like to associate with people of higher society. Well, that was very important in the first century Christian world. And Jesus, or well, James says, eh, that's not quite right. And he says this, starting with verse 1 of chapter 2, My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, do not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes. Well, first he was an Adventist because he has a gold ring on. And a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, hey, you stand over there, or you sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers, he has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have insulted the poor. It is not the rich who have exploited you. Oh, wait, who, wait, yeah. Is it not the rich who, who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name Of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. And later on he says, and basically, if you keep one of the law, or you keep all of it but break one, it's all the same. So, if you're going to show, if you're going to pay your tithe, you're going to keep the Sabbath, you're going to do all this stuff, but show favoritism, it's garbage. That's it. Then you're not a doer of the law. If you're not providing for people that need help, you're not a doer of the law. You know, there was an article that I, I read recently about one of the biggest, they were saying epidemics that's happening in our society nowadays, and it is bullying. Did you realize bullying is on the rise? I, I actually thought with our anti-bullying campaigns and everything that it would be on the, on the decline. And this one article said that they uh, interviewed, I believe it was 160,000 students. I don't know where my article is. 160,000 students, pretty much middle school age. And they said that the majority, you know, you hear about cyberbullying, but the majority of bullying is still happening in person. The majority of bullying has to relate to somehow you look like the way you dress or, you know, something you look. Uh, bullying, most bullying happens not on an island. Do you know what I mean? Meaning somebody knows that it's happening. The challenge with bullying is nobody, a lot of the bystanders are not speaking up. They're not doing anything. So there have been, been these pushes to, have, to, to actually help stop bullying from happening is to educate bystanders, bystanders, to have them start being able to approach, if if they're fearful of approaching the bully, then somehow they approach what we'll call the victim and say, I am here as a support for you. But if you just allow it, even though you know, and what the article said is the majority of the kids know that bullying's wrong. They know it's wrong. But knowing it's wrong does not help unless there's action, right? If there is no action, then really, it's like looking into a mirror and seeing your dirty face and walking away. Let's continue with verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you say to them, go, I wish you well. Keep warm and well fed. I'll pray for you. Doesn't say that. I added that. But does nothing about his physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is what? What's the word? It's dead. But someone will say, you have faith, and I got deeds. So show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. I love that argument. He said... Yeah, you can believe, and you heard this stuff. Great. You know it. But guess what? So do the demons. So if you don't hear, I mean, if you hear and don't do, the equation that he's making there is, well, the demons do that too. You foolish man. That could be woman too. I'm not going to be gender specific. You foolish person, will say. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not your ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did? When he offered his son Isaac on the altar, you see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. Now, that's where Martin Luther was. boom. Because he says, justified by works and not just faith. In the same way was not Rahab the prostitute considered righteous, for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. That's pretty straightforward. If you're going to become, if you are claiming to be a follower of Jesus and not a fan, Then will you do what he did? Are you willing to carry your cross? Are you willing to get your hands dirty? Are you a doer? You know, you will notice. That in Matthew chapter 25, when it talks, Matthew 24 is about the last days, and I believe that Matthew 25, this is my personal opinion, all of the three parables in Matthew 25 are connected. And the last one he gives the most detail. And he says, There was this master up front, and, and on his right side were the sheep. And I'm not telling you where to sit, you know, but but here are the sheep, here are the goats in the parable. And, right, right. Yeah, it's according to your perspective and that's probably what the goats thought. So, (laughs) so here's the thing. The sheep and the goats, all, all of them didn't know what was going on. I believe that the sheep and the goats are all followers. He's not talking about people in the world. He's talking about so-called followers. And he says to the one set of followers, man, when I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was in prison, you visited me. I didn't have enough clothes, you, you clothed me. And they said, oh, yeah, we remember that. Is that what they said? He said, no, no, no. Sorry, we don't remember doing that. He said, it's because you did it to the people that really needed it. And when you did it to them, you did it to me. And then to the other group, he says, I was naked, and I didn't, you didn't offer me clothes. And I was hungry, and I was thirsty, and I was, I was alone. And they said, when didn't we do this? He said, because this person here. You didn't do it to that person. The whole point is, I don't care if you're sitting in the pews. If you're not doing what your faith calls you to, then you're a goat. Not the goat. You are a goat, biblically. And the sad part of that story is, he says, I don't know you. That's... You don't know me apparently. First John 3:17 and 18 says this, if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother or sister in need and has no pity on him, how can he love how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. To close you know the story probably mostly because there was a movie made about it. There was a list that was at some time created. You can go to the the last slide. Oskar Schindler was born April 28th of 1908 in Moravia. He was an ethnic German and a Catholic, He had had attended trade schools. He had become a fairly successful businessman. Now, if you read from different accounts, there are some that say that he was just an opportunistic business person. Some say that he was actually an alcoholic, womanizing man who cared only about one person, Oscar Schindler. But somehow throughout this journey... In 1939, he decided to join the Nazi party. And he figured, this will help my life. And it makes sense, if you read the story, and if you understand what the Nazi party was was promoting, it made sense that he would join that party. But nobody thought that this guy would become a wartime rescuer. So the first thing that he did, he was in charge in Krakow, of one of the manufacturing plants. And something changed in his heart where he said, I can no longer watch this happen to this people. So he primarily started asking for Jews to be under his care. And when they were asked to be transferred to a certain concentration camp, he would say that there is a need here. I need them here. To the point that he started making a list of prisoners that would need to work in his factories. And so when he was transferred to this new, which he requested, to this new factory, he made a list specifically of over a 1,000 Jews that he wanted at his factory. Because he knew the... Alternative was that they would go to the concentration camp. There were over 1,200 Jews that it's believed that he saved personally from the end result of the concentration camp. I don't know if you've ever read any of his story, but he died. He actually ended up getting a divorce. They moved to Argentina. He ended, and he moved back to Germany, but he died penniless. Because he had spent all of his money trying to help people. This is an opportunistic businessman that changed to change lives. Now, I've read one account and that in 1993, I believe it was, that some Jews... That were relatives of the ones that he saved, the Schindler's Jews that they called them, actually paid to dig up his body and bury him as an honorary Jew in Israel. He was a doer of the word as far as he knew it. He transformed over 1,200 lives and their descendants. Because he said, I can no longer stay on the the sidelines. I must do the word.